All right, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Acts, uh, chapter 3. The book of Acts, chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. Uh, up on the screens, it's going to be uh, the NIV that we are using. But this morning, uh, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. Uh, normally, when I give you the text, like I just did, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, you would hear from me word for word uh, of, uh, of those verses from a given translation. Today, I'm telling you in advance, I'm going to paraphrase, but you'll, be, you'll have them up on the screens, and some of you, you have the Bible right in front of you. So the base, the foundation of my message will be the scriptures found in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Again, on the screens, it'll be NIV. But much like a storyteller this morning, I'm going to elaborate a little bit to give you a clear picture, a clearer picture of some of the context to what the Bible is telling us in Acts chapter 3. Before we go any further though, can we just pause one more time and pray? If you're able to stand, stand. If not, stay seated. But I want to pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the testimonies that were given. I pray in the name of Jesus, uh, Lord, that you would speak to us just like you did in the earlier service, that you would allow your word to penetrate our hearts, uh, to teach us, to convict us, to help us, help us to have greater understanding this morning. In Jesus' name, God's People said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're going to start in verse 1. There in verse 1, it's 3 p.m. in the afternoon. It's 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and it's actually the hour of prayer in the temple. And when the disciples of Jesus, who were, we're speaking about Peter and John in this instance, are heading up to join the throng of people at the great house of God. On their way in, in verse 2, as they came to the gate called Beautiful, a gate that was inlaid with gold and precious stones and situated as an entrance on the eastern uh, side of the temple courts, they came across this man who had been crippled since birth. Now listen, most of us can't relate uh, to this man's disability, but he was a man so lame that he couldn't even hobble along with a crutch. But instead, he, the scripture tells us that he had to be carried everywhere. So he had to have uh, some good friends who were willing to do that, right? They carried him every single day and they laid him at the entrance of the temple uh, to be able to beg from people who were going up to pray. And again, this was a daily occurrence. Now, you and I wouldn't commonly know this, but the poor man wasn't actually even allowed to go inside of the temple uh, to join in with the others in prayer because he was a cripple. In fact, because of uh, their spiritual pride, the religious leaders felt that this man was actually blemished or that he did not fit into the house of God. And so he sat on the steps of the temple of the church with the help of his friends. And day after day, he begged. Of course, much like today, some people would give him their loose change to ease their consciences as they went about their day. But in this instance, those that bothered to actually stop and give were on their way to the house of the Lord to pray. In verse 3, let's go there. As Peter and John approached the temple this particular day, this crippled man saw, he saw them, and, and so he asked them for alms like he did everybody else. Any gift of charity would do. But Peter and John had just been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so let me tell you, they were full. 
they were full of the Holy Ghost. They were full and overflowing with joy and abundant life. And so this lame man, he felt for sure that he was going to get a good offering from these guys. I, I mean, they were giddy. They were smiling. And this man was like, I'm going to get something good. You know, it's been pennies. It's been like a, 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 a a mere existence of what I would want to be blessed with. But today, these guys are excited and, and they're happy. And so I'm excited to receive whatever they're going to give. In verse 4, Peter and John actually stopped. As he spoke to them, not like everyone else who tried to get past him without looking. And Peter even said to him, look at us. See, maybe this man's head was bowed down and, and maybe he, he, looked in, he never looked into the eyes of those who came by and, and for fear of offending them. And it's also possible that he just didn't want to be embarrassed. I mean, if you're begging, think of the, the thoughts and the possible shame that goes through you that day after day after day, you are asking people to help you and, and you can't even stand and you can't even move. You are there every day. And so this cripple, this lame man, he kept his head down low. And here Peter is saying, look at us. Of course, in verse 5, the crippled man, he hesitantly obeyed and carefully he looked up at them expecting to receive from something from them. As I was reading this, I was thinking about my kids when they were young. And I don't know, for those of you that have children, you might know what I'm talking about, that when there's a birthday party and there's gifts that are wrapped, especially when they're little, they're like fit to be tied. They're like, you've got all the stuff going on, but the gifts are there and, and they may or may not know what's inside. Sometimes they cheat, right? And and they, they kind of know what's inside, but there's an excitement. There's an expectation or, or even around the Christmas tree. If you went like, uh, I went crazy when my kids were little and I used to get a ton of stuff and, and their eyes were bigger than life. And they were like, what is there? There's just all this expectation. And this cripple man had that kind of expectation. At this point in verse 6, it was uh, where Peter spoke to the man and he said, silver and gold. I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. What did he have? Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk again. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And with that bold statement, in verse 7, Peter took hold of the man's right hand and he lifted him up, he lifted him up. and in that moment of time, or instantly, say instantly, Instantly strength came into the man's feet and the ankle bones. And for the very first time in his life, he felt something. Verse 8 says that right there and then he jumped up to his feet and he began to walk. Now, remember, I need you to remember, I need you to gauge this. This man was crippled from birth. And so every single thing he was experiencing in that moment was new. And every single thing was fresh. And every single thing was amazing. For the first time in his life, he could feel blood flowing down into his legs. So much so that he could now dance around without thought for, or shame. And before hundreds of Jews who were coming in for prayer, he decided, you know what? I was lame. I was crippled. But now I can walk. 
Now I can stand. Now I can feel. And I'm rejoicing. I'm happy. He's dancing, rejoicing. He praised God. In verses 9 and 10, when all the people saw what had happened to this man, who, by the way, they knew all of their life, as the crippled beggar who sat daily, week after week, month after month, year after year, who, who all their life they saw that way, and all of a sudden they saw this man healed. They were surprised and amazed at him. What a great miracle, right? I love reading the scriptures and, and seeing how God moves and how God heals and how God still has power. It's an awesome story of the power of God on display. And the cool thing about it, I love reading the Bible because the cool thing about it is, is that it's more than just words. It's more than just a story this morning. See, it really happened. And the God of power is still working miracles today. I was thinking about the boys that went on the mission trip to Mexico and the little boy, did you remember the testimony they prayed for the little boy? The little boy had not spoken ever in his life and when they were done praying, they heard sounds, they heard words, they heard speaking come out of that mouth and it was a miracle. You cannot tell me that God does not still perform miracles. I'm sure if you ask most people today, they would love to see a miracle. How many of you would love to see a miracle? Come on, be honest. You would love to see a miracle. You would love to see God's power move maybe in some way like this in your life. In fact, we live in a day today when people are searching for anything out of the ordinary. And sadly, because we know that evil exists in the form of Satan, he offers up the counterfeit at every turn to try and deceive people into believing that any power you see is his and his alone. You need to know if you don't know already, Satan is a liar. The devil is a liar. In fact, listen, there's a whole generation of people right now caught up in the occult and caught up in all forms of witchcraft uh, because they have bought into the lie that that is real power when again, it is the counterfeit. The power of God is the real power. It's the power that lasts. See, the truth is God's power is greater than anything that the devil can toss our way and as followers of Jesus Christ, I need you to hear this, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to believe in God's power. We need to expect demonstrations of God's power and we need to personally and practically experience God's power for ourselves. How will you know it's real unless you experience it yourself? See, I love hearing stories about 20-year uh, drug addicts completely delivered by the power of God. I love watching how God is able to take today, God is able to take broken and messed up relationships that look absolutely hopeless, and today, by His power, He's able to restore them. It's exciting to hear about people who were given six months to live with a diagnosis of cancer or heart disease, still living 10 or 15 years later with no visible sign of cancer or disease in their bodies. How did it happen? He's the God of miracles. Listen, the blind still receive their sight. The deaf still receive their hearing. The mute still receive their voices. Sickness and disease are still healed by our God. 
when his power flows. Hallelujah. Listen, I've seen it happen. Maybe some of you have seen it happen, and so God's power is real. The problem is we don't always see it or hear about it happening today, and we actually we settle for that being the norm when it shouldn't be. But if God, listen, if God is a God of power, and if God is a God who in his word is, is full of miracles, and the flow of God's power is supposed to be the norm, then what is missing in my life? What is missing in your life? Listen, right away, I can think about the scripture. Some of you may be thinking too that in the gospels where Jesus himself, he went to his hometown and he could not do miracles in his own hometown because of what? Anybody know? Because of their unbelief. And listen, it's pretty black and white that if you want to see the power of God flow, you need to have faith that he can actually do it. And maybe some of you would say, well, sin, sin, pastor, is the reason that God's power doesn't flow like it's supposed to flow. And yet there are times that we see the power of God in this, in, on display in spite of our sin. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about. You were in that place and you received a miracle and you're like, I didn't deserve a miracle. I, I would not have given me a miracle. I would not have done what God did. But God in his mercy and God in his grace said, you know what? You are my son. You are my daughter. The power is mine to use. And so this morning, you know what? You may be caught up in sin. You may be caught up in junk. You may be caught up in all this stuff. But my power is real and I will touch you with it. I will perform a miracle right now. Aren't you glad he's the God of mercy and grace? I guess my message this morning is more of a question that I want you to, to contemplate, something to think about. And that question this morning is, in what kind of environment will the power of God flow? In what kind of environment will the power of God flow? And then you can add the phrase, in your life. What kind of environment will the power of God's flow in your life? You see, I don't think we need great complex ideas. I know that sometimes people get caught up in theology and they go back and forth and it's like they lose me. I'm very simple myself. I, I believe God chooses to, to deal with things very simply. Like the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. And so I guess I can see some basic principles in our text this morning where we should recognize that if we want to experience God's power in our life, this is, this is how it works. And so number one, if you're writing notes, God's power flows where he is. God's power flows where he is. And I know, I get the looks it's like, Pastor Freddie, are you seriously, that is so simple? Like, I knew that day one, that, you know, wherever God is, that's where his power flows. Uh, it's obvious. Again, God's power flows where he is. It's true. But I want you to look at the, the lame man right now. Look at our text. Look at his predicament with me for a moment. He had been sitting at the entrance of the temple or the church. He had been sitting there daily for years. In fact, if you go to Acts 4.22, it tells you that he was over 40, year, 40 years of age. 
So what does that tell you? Process of elimination. Think about it. For 40 years, for 40 plus years, his friends have taken him and daily sat him there. And, and he's crying out for alms and he's crying out for help. And he's in that place and, and he's just existing. He's just getting by. He's just, he, he doesn't know what tomorrow holds. And, and maybe tomorrow will be a day where no one will give. But today somebody gave and I can last a little longer. And listen, the temple was supposed to be the house of God or, or the home of God's presence and yet here he was all of his life camped outside of his gates and yet he was still a cripple. Follow with me. 40 plus years at the steps of the temple, people going by just giving him alms, still a cripple. See, in all of their religious fervor, there was nothing that these people could actually offer him. The best that they could do was offer him a couple of copper coins to ease their conscience as they passed by like an act of pity. And this was the home of, God, of the God who created the universe by the word of his mouth. And yet God wasn't there at all. See, when Jesus, he, when Jesus hung on a cross and he uttered those last triumphant words, it is finished, the Bible records that there was a, a curtain in the temple, which for centuries, that curtain barred man from the presence of God. And we know historically and biblically that it was torn in two right down the middle. In fact, it was torn from the top to the bottom as if it was torn by the hands of God. We usually hear it preached that it signified that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, man could now enter into the Holy of Holies, and that's correct. Listen, I'm excited this morning that I don't have to have somebody else pray for me. I'm excited this morning that I don't have to offer up any kind of uh, animal in act of praise. I don't have to shed any animal's blood. Jesus shed his blood. Jesus paid the price. Jesus did it all, and nobody has to go pray for me. I can pray. Pray for myself in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and so the veil is torn, top to bottom, true story, but only half the story. See, the curtain is torn signifying that God's presence is no longer veiled in seclusion. But now God has come out and he lives in this new dwelling place. Anybody know where that new dwelling place is? Inside of us. Inside of you. We are the dwelling place of God. If we've accepted Jesus as Lord, he has come in. Uh, see, God now dwells and lives in those that he loves. We are the vessels of God and his power flows wherever he is so so when that curtain was torn away god was making his his final declaration about where he intended to reside but in truth the glory of god had been absent from the temple for years centuries Sadly, for those who had eyes to see, the words Ichabod was actually written over the doorpost, which means the glory has departed. And listen, God's power, I need you to hear this, God's power will not flow where he does not reside. God's power will not flow where he does not reside. But I thank God that when the saving, healing presence of God was no longer in the temple, his power was in the lives of two disciples 
Peter and John. And now God's power could flow again. God's power was not isolated or uh, just held in the temple courts or in the temple walls. That you this morning, if Jesus is your Savior, you are the temple of God. And His power flows through you if He resides within. <laughs> so Peter, he reaches out, he, he heals the man, uh, but tell me, is it the hand of Peter that reaches out or is it God's hand? The answer is yes. Well, no, you asked two questions. No, is it Peter's hand or is it God's hand? No, the answer is yes. See, it's Peter's hands because we are the hands and feet of Jesus, but it's also God's hands. See, the lame man was healed by God's power because God's power flows wherever he is. And if we want to see the power, we must first secure the presence of Jesus. You want to see the power of God in your life? Secure the presence of Jesus. Mary and Martha, they knew that when their brother Lazarus died. If you read that story again, we read it a thousand times. They called out for Jesus. Jesus, our brother is sick. Would you come? If you'll come, you can heal him. If you come, he won't die. If you come, and, and they knew that if he was present, God's power would flow. But Jesus arrived late. The Bible says on purpose. Jesus arrived late, and then Lazarus died, and I'm sure there was all this mixed emotion, and at that point, what did Martha say? Lord, if you had only been there. Why did she say that? She knew that wherever Jesus was, there was power. Again, God's power flows wherever he's present, but it doesn't end there. Number two, God's power flows where there is expectancy alluded to this already, the expectancy of our children, right? When we buy gifts for them and, and maybe they have to eat all their supper or, or maybe they have to do certain chores and things and, and the expectancy is growing. The, the word expectancy here means to wait for something in suspense and, and so there was something about these two men that who would actually bother to talk to this lame man and, and he was waiting in suspense expecting for something good. They had the joy of the Lord all over them. Here they were coming. I got pennies yesterday but today I might get something better. How many of you know that what God does is exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think? The problem is that so often we come to God not expecting anything at all. Like we, we come to church and, and we're ready for just another Sunday service. And, and so we'll come and we already have the checklist, right? We're going to sing some choruses and, and we're going to pray a little bit. And, and we're going to maybe try to hang out and try not to fall asleep during the sermon. And, and hopefully we will get done in and out in an hour. And yet it's so important to come to church longing to hear the voice of God. I mean, nothing is sadder than going to church when you aren't expecting anything to happen and worse still is when you're positively sure that nothing is going to happen. So when you feel that way, what a surprise, 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 surprise. You get nothing at all that happens. Yet so many people throughout the world go to church every Sunday feeling just that way. And it's sad. 
It's sad to, listen, we must come to God with expectancy. Remember Hebrews eleven six says that without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So did you come here this morning expecting God to do something new? Did you come here this morning expecting God to do something exciting? Did you come here this morning expecting God to do something fresh in you? your life. If you did, you won't leave here the same way you came. In Jesus' name, I guarantee it. See, the lame man, he expected something and he got far more than he ever expected. God's power flows where there's expectancy and we need to develop an attitude of expectancy. Listen, remember, as sons and daughters of God, we have every reason to come with expectancy to God. Why? Because God always, say always. God always answers his people. Every time I make a statement like that, I know there's someone in the crowd that says, Pastor, I have prayed and prayed and God has not answered, but I want you to hear me this morning. I am firmly convinced that every single time I have prayed to the Lord, God has heard and God has answered my prayer in one way, shape, or form. He answers every single time the righteous call. Follow this. The truth is, when it's not God's will, God says no. When, when it's not God's time, God says slow. When it's his will and it's the time, God says go. The Bible calls us to have an expectancy in God that allows him to be God. And, and, and uh, uh, red flag announcement, you are not God. You are not God. No matter how hard you try to be, you are not. Hudson Taylor's life motto was this. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. He also said, many Christians estimate difficulties in the light of their own resources, and thus they attempt very little and often fail in the little things they attempt. But all of God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned or they depended on his power and his presence with them. You can do nothing without the power of God. The very breath in your body this morning, for those atheists and people that don't believe in God, they don't believe that there's a higher power, they're just like, I just uh, appeared out of goop. <laughs> Nothing happens without the power of God. On that basis, how do you think God feels when we come before him without a sense of expectancy? Well, if he truly is the great God who made all of heaven and earth, how insulting it must be to God when we come to him not expecting anything. We must come with expectant hearts. And, and when we fully expect him to move, we will then see his power. Another way to see his power flow is God's power flows where right authority is recognized. God's power flows where right authority is recognized. So a pretty significant thing that stands out to me in, in our story, right, is that there is no record of Peter and John praying for this lame man at all. Did anybody see it? Anybody read it? where they, they started to pray and they, you know, there's no record. They simply took hold of the authority uh, available in the name of Jesus and the man was healed. Listen, I'm sure that the apostles were prayed up, right? 
They were prayed up. I'm sure that they spent a ton of time seeking the Lord. But when this man presented them with his need, they didn't feel like they had to pray. They simply declared him healed in the name of Jesus. Now, I know theologians out there have differences of opinion on this. You know, they might feel like this is you trying to boss God around or trying to trick God, or trying to force God's hand, but we need to recognize that there is a great authority in the name of Jesus, and guess what? That authority has been given to you and I, and so as his representatives here on earth, you and I, we have the authority to, to you and I have the authority to heal and restore, you and I have the authority to release and deliver in order to advance the kingdom of God. Check it out. Matthew 28, 18 says, uh, Jesus, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And so all authority belongs to Jesus, right? I just read it to you. All authority, he said, has been given to me in heaven and in earth. That's wonderful news. That's great. But listen further. Let's go to verses 19 and 20 there of Matthew 28. We see that Jesus has made his authority available to you and I. Therefore, Jesus says in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Listen. We read of several occasions in the Gospels when Jesus invested his authority in his followers in order to complete tasks. In Luke 9, we know that he sent out 12 on a mission to do the work of the Lord. In Luke 10, he sent out 70 disciples uh, to do a great work. And in Mark 16, he gave all authority to all that believe. Do you believe today? Are you a believer are you daily trusting in, in, in God as your Savior, your Lord, and your Master? Then who will these signs follow? You. These signs will follow you. See, all ultimate authority in the universe belongs to Jesus. He's our King, right? He has invested that authority in us. We are His church. And we accomplish his purposes. Again, God's power flows where right authority is rightly recognized. This brings me to our last principle. And ask our worship team to start making their way back up. Last principle here, number four, God's power flows where he will receive all the glory. Say all. God's power flows where he will receive all the glory. Part of the problem is some of us are glory hogs. What do you mean? What are you talking about, Pastor Freddie? Because God does something, God does a miracle, God does some, something great, and maybe you fasted, and maybe you pray, prayed, and maybe you've been believing God for years, but we are glory hogs because in those moments, sometimes, instead of letting God get all the glory, we want some of it. We want some of the recognition. We want some of the limelight, and God will not share his glory with you. And so God's power flows Will he will receive all the glory. Clearly God moved in power in Acts 3. He healed the lame man in order that his own great name might be honored. And Peter and John, they could rightly uh, claim the authority of the name of Jesus because in that moment they were bringing glory and honor to God. And so God's power flows where he will receive all the glory. In the Old Testament, God opposed Saul, but he exalted David. David and Saul, you know those stories, right? 
He opposed Saul. He exalted David. Why? Because Saul came to the place where he began to seek the glory for himself. But David always sought God. He wanted God to receive all the glory. In Acts chapter 19, we read about the seven sons of Sceva. Anybody ever read that story in book of Acts? It is crazy. They should turn that into a movie. And so they had the audacity to, to try and use uh, a, the authority in Jesus' name to gain glory for themselves, right? And so basically, they went through the process of trying to cast out demons without themselves knowing Jesus personally. And so they would say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, I command you. And before beating them up and chasing them away, the Bible says that the evil spirit said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? See, God's power flows where he receives all the glory. Let's make sure we're giving God all the glory. There's an account of a revival in Wells, and a man who was greatly used in that revival was Reverend David Morgan. I'm coming close with this. There are many incredible things about this man's life. And we know that an old minister who was there during those revivals, he wrote down some, uh, some words about this minister. And there was, an uh, there was an evening that to him felt terrible, like just the fear and the, just the moving uh, of the supernatural power of God. And so he said, so near was the revivalist to his God that his face shone like an angel. What does that mean? That means his face was brilliant. It, it was shining. It was glowing. And it go, he goes on to say, so that none could gaze at him steadfastly. He was glowing with God so much, you could not keep your eyes focused on him. The brilliance of God's power was on him. And so many of his hero, or he, hearers, they swooned on their way home. They didn't dare break their silence for many miles. And towards midnight, I ventured say to uh, uh, Reverend David, didn't we have a blessed meeting? And he replied, yes. And then after a long pause, he said, the Lord would give us great things if he could only trust us. The Lord would give us great things if he could only trust us. What do you mean? I asked. If he could trust us not to steal the glory for ourselves. He went on to sing uh, a chorus to a song that has become a, a hymn in the church uh, for many years. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. Would you stand to your feet? Listen, I want you to keep in mind that if you want God's power to flow, you got to make sure that he receives all the glory. Again, Acts chapter 3 tells us uh, in what environment will God's power flow. His, his power will flow where he is, where there's expectancy, where right authority is recognized, and where he alone receives the glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. I pray that something that was shared, that your word would land on good hearts and that your people would receive it. I believe that, that we all need to experience the power of God for ourselves and that there are many reasons why maybe some of us don't. And I pray that something that we shared today would help someone to, to note, you know, that maybe they've been taking the credit. You know, maybe uh, they, you know, are, think that you're in their lives, but you're absent they are living for themselves. You need to be there for the power to flow. And so in many of those instances, God, it's your desire to touch us. It's your desire to show us your power. I pray, God, that you would wake us up, that you would show us what it is 
that's stopping up the flow of your power in our lives. Help us to surrender it. Help us to, to receive you. Help us to walk in your ways and to glorify your name so that your power will flow. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. Let's close in worship.